Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Nyokabi Karayuki, a composer and performer from Kenya based between New York, Maryland and Nairobi. Nyokabi came to my attention through her recent single on SA Recordings called Galu, which is centred on a field recording Nyokabi took while wading in the Indian Ocean at low tide on the Kenyan coast, which is then elaborated upon by drums, voice and kalimba. And Nyokabi says that with Galu, I wanted to preserve the freeing feeling of releasing your body into the quiet sway of the waves and the freeing feeling of being able to finally breathe out completely. The whole thing has this energy to it, almost like the dynamism of memory, the sense that a memory of somewhere fond is slowly revealing itself, branching off into other thoughts other sentiments it's not just the field recording it's all of these emotions and tangential daydreams which seem to be swept into Galu the piece actually forms part of an EP project which is coming out in the autumn called Peace Places Kenya Memories where each track focuses on several places at home that Nikabi say give her peace and and are centred on field recordings of, of each place. I can't wait to hear that. Head over to nkaraoke.com for more information on Yokabi's work. Head over to attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening for more information and all the links and everything. This was a really cool set of records. Loved speaking to Yokabi. Thank you for listening, as always. Can't believe we're on episode 85. Imagine that. Okay, this is Nyukabi Karaoke on Crucial Listening. Copy. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. So you're here to talk about three important albums that you have selected. Before we get into that, I want to start with a new track of yours called Galu, mm-hmm. which has been released on SA Recordings as part of their single series. So this yes. track forms part of your upcoming EP, Peace Places, Kenya Memories, where each track focuses on mm-hmm. several places at home that give you peace so mm-hmm. firstly i'd like to know what is it that led you to want to make an ep based on that specific idea it's a really nice idea yeah oh thank you um i think it's been a number of things um but i think the pandemic <laughs> as yeah. much as i hate to say it, i think the <laughs> pandemic is really what kind of 
got me to that place. I, you know, was in my final year at New York University where I was studying music composition and then pandemic happened. So I was studying from home. Well, Maryland, actually, where I have relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't really sure if I was going to be able to go back to Kenya. The borders were closing and mm. know, I was like, oh, I need to finish my degree. I need to be in the United States, but I don't really know what's going to happen. So, right. you know, essentially, I just ended up being here and, and just not knowing when I could get back home. And I think this EP, just starting on it was a way to to put myself there just by transporting myself back to the memories that I have at home. Yeah, and and it was just really interesting because, you know, I was always taking kind of field recordings. And earlier that year, actually, for my senior recital project, um, for my degree, we have to uh, present a senior recital. Mm -hmm. And obviously, pandemic meant that we couldn't do it as like an actual performance, like an actual concert performance. And I was had been working on some concert works initially, but I actually decided to completely change and, and reroute the direction of that. And I ended up making the sound journal, essentially, where I was kind of taking field recordings around me every single day at the same time and making music around that. So I think that's kind of what started this kind of curiosity of, of how like sounds around me could be in my music. Hmm. And... So, you know, a couple months later, I wrote Galu. Galu is the first track that I wrote. Um, and that's because I was applying for something for like an, a composition opportunity that was percussion based. And so I was like, oh, let me make something for tape and percussion. So it was initially a concert work, actually. There's a whole score, uh, which is really pretty. Oh, it was wow. a graphic score and everything. And I decided to kind of use the field recordings that I'd taken from home. And so when I when I finished writing that, I was like, oh, wow, I think I actually really want to see this grow into a larger work and, and kind of see what other field recordings I've taken just casually from my time in Kenya from the last time I was there, which was December 2019, actually. Right. <laughs> um, and just, yeah, kind of get that feeling of, of being home and, and being at peace and using that to ground me while I was, you know, in this in the United States and just in this super precarious time. While you've mentioned it, I just want to touch on it, but this sound journal idea, I, I love mm-hmm. the idea of yeah. keeping something deliberately like that. I mean, obviously so many artists use mm-hmm. field recordings within their music, but there seems to be something very specific about doing that in a regulated way and very chronologically conscious way. What was that like putting together that journal? Yeah, it was it was surreal, honestly, because, you know, the idea was that I found it difficult to carry on with the concert works that I was initially writing mm. because they just didn't, you know, they were very like celebration-y, very much like this is the end of my, you know, degree. My parents were, were going <laughs> right. to fly out from Kenya. It was going to, you know, that was the vibe of those works. Yeah, And so pandemic changed that and with the journal I just decided like emotionally sorry to to kind of to to follow my emotional capacity Hmm. um kind of literally like an actual journal where it's like some days I'm not gonna want to write a million like words and other days I'm you know sometimes I'm just gonna have three things to say yeah um 
I think that was just the journey of that journal, just following where my emotions were at and just letting that kind of be my guide and, and, and not having the expectation like, oh, this needs to be however long or not. Like I literally just kind of was keeping in touch with my emotional health through this journal. So, you know, it was something I was doing every day. I had an alarm set for, it was six, it's called 634 because that's the time arbitrarily chosen. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, to, yeah. And, and it's actually, it, it exists. I haven't like pushed it out because I, I haven't pushed it because I don't, I'm still kind of trying to find the right home for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but I do talk about it because it was quite a pivotal um, moment, I think. And, you know, I, I, so I did it for 34 days because, you know, 634, <laughs> I guess I just ran with a theme. Uh-huh. Um, and it's quite cool. You know, like some weeks I have five entries, some weeks I just have uh, fewer entries that are all just combined into like one kind of piece. And then I started asking my friends and family all over the world to send in their recordings at 6.34 sorry, p.m. Oh, so um, nice. So it just became this whole thing. And and by the end of it, I had like 40 minutes worth of, of, of a project. Um, it was really beautiful to watch because really I was just taking it day by day. I had no expectations for where I was going to go. And then it just became, you know, this whole thing. So... To return to Galoos, so there's a line, a single vocal line that repeats Mm -hmm. throughout, Mm -hmm. kind of reconfigured, as you're saying it, Mm -hmm. but I go down at 6am to swim in the Indian Ocean, which Mm -hmm. the way that it's delivered is amazing, is immense. The, the, The way that it gradually unfolds is fabulous to listen to. I mean, can you tell me about the significance of this line running throughout Galoo? Yeah. I don't know if it's going to surprise you if I say this, but um, I did that in one take. It was like completely improvised. Wow. Yeah. Um, no, that, <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. Yeah. And I guess that maybe colors in why it's it's quite repetitive. Um, I'm not like a poet. I'm not like a poet on the dot, <laughs> <laughs> um, on the spot rather. But I I find the voice a really interesting instrument. I think that a lot of people, when they're listening to music with with vocals in it, they kind of immediately assume that language is a kind of information communicator, like, Mm. that you know, the language is being used to communicate, like, yeah, information. But I think for me, it was more about capturing a feeling and, and kind of tapping into the texture, the textual nature of the voice to do that. Mm. Um, So even with the words themselves and just that repetition happening it was yeah very much about em- embodying that feeling of, of going down to the coast like my eyes were closed and I was just really looking at that image and just kind of channeling that into it so to be fair though I you know I do I every time we go to the coast with my family I always wake up earlier than usual um, <laughs> because it's just such a peaceful place for me but Really, that, that's one of the interesting things about that. Um, and then, you know, I started layering more voices uh, in the middle and sort of the part where the drums go crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, but yeah, I just, I just really felt like it's, it's interesting to play with words and to play with language by deciding how much you, information that you're giving and, mm. and kind of 
testing people's expectations from ha- for for how they understand and interact with those words. Yeah, totally. Because to begin with, it's I go down for quite a while before, mm-hmm. which in isolation is so ambiguous. It can go so mm-hmm. many different ways. I think <laughs> as well, like tonally, it's not clear, right, as to the atmosphere of the piece either. So. Mm. But it also as well now talking to you feels like a memory rendering itself as if there's certain Mm -hmm. aspects that are becoming clear over time and then over scrutiny become clearer or more elaborate, um, which is really nice. Um, And there's a field recording as well, which I understand that you captured while wading in the Indian Ocean at low tide, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can you tell me about your memories of capturing that field recording? Yeah. Okay. So we went to coast, the coast, um, I guess in Kenya, we call it coast, uh, in 2019, uh, December. So yeah, the last time I was in Kenya and I don't remember if this was, a cause I also took a bunch of videos around that time and I'm actually about, I'm going to publish like a little kind of post on my website blog, sharing some of those images from the track. Um, so I either got the files from the videos I was taking where I'm like in the water and there's like a little, there's like a bunch of like fish around and there's like a, like a bird. Was it like a stork or something? I don't know. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> but it was, but there was one in the water and then there was just like, it's just very quiet and it was, it was so pretty. And it was also a little gray, which I guess when mm. we think of the beach, it's always sunny in our minds. But I think that was also <laughs> like part of like, <laughs> the, I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the UK <laughs> is miserable. <laughs> but um, yeah, the this this day was kind of grey in a way, but that was also comforting. Interestingly, mm. um, and and so it was either from the videos or from just some field. Rec- like a recording I took on my phone um, with a voice note app. And that's pretty much how I go about it. I just use my phone, really, because mm. it's I'm always down to kind of use the filled recordings as they are. I know, you know, I have a lot of friends and, and there's so many artists who kind of use like really incredible equipment to capture the sounds and of the natural environment and stuff. And but I think I've really enjoyed this idea of like organic kind of recordings and, and, and seeing what the music in them is inherently mm-hmm. and, and bringing that out. I mean, one more question I wanted to ask on Galoo is it features the drums of Chris O'Leary. O'Leary. Mm-hmm. How did he come to be involved and how much instruction was he given as to how we should go about his contribution? Yeah, so Chris O'Leary, he is... I met him at NYU. He was he is he was studying percussion performance, um, and we were collaborating. Like he he is an incredible performer, and so we had been collaborating on a work again before the pandemic began. <laughs> uh, I just hate how much it's coming, <laughs> but I suppose it's like it's a reality anyway. Um, so you know, I have worked with him before, and he's always willing to kind of test out whatever ideas. I have and he also has a really cool kind of basement full of all of these percussion instruments um you know he also does uh like he plays the West African Geel uh as well as the djembe he has like a lap harp there's just so much 
like material that he has sonically mm. and he's yeah always down to try out um the the ideas that i have and so you know like i mentioned galu was initially was originally a concept work at least that's what how it envisioned it and so um i had written kind of the tape part i improvised that and then i wrote a score so uh yeah i wrote a score for the drum set and it, it was a graphic score so there are some moments like you know when he's getting into a groove i wrote those i notated those um, right precisely but there was a lot of textural elements that i was looking for and so i i kind of illustrated those on the on the score because you know with this i i had an image of the place and i th- wanted the performer to also have that image in their minds as well and i find that tradition i found that traditional score wasn't really going to work great well as i've said several times it's fabulous obviously it's forming part of this new ep that's coming out peace places mm-hmm. kenya memories which is also mm-hmm. out on essay recordings is that right mm-hmm. correct nice one so i'll include links whatever's available when this goes out to direct people to that but definitely check it out so let's go to your important records now on your cubby. so yeah before we get stuck into any one of them specifically one question i like to ask is how you thought about the term important when picking these three records so was there a way that you interpreted important in order to come up with the list that you did yeah i um i i selected these three um because they were albums that caused really like pivotal shifts in my music journey in terms of how i understood myself as an artist as well as like how i understood myself kind of how i understood my place in the ecosystem i suppose of mm. of being a music maker you know being a composer being a music maker from africa in the case of francis babe um and i actually chose them in order of how that progression happened so pink floyd uh wish you were here kelsey lose blood and then francis bobe's psychedelic sansa and this has happened i guess over the course of my well four years in college and wow, <laughs> you know this wow. is i graduated last year so yeah i think these records i would say they were just very monumental in terms of like when i was learning who i was and and they 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 were just you know i think a lot of it is like the record but it i think a lot of it is the artist themselves mm. that kind of i saw myself in great well let's get stuck in so i i, I assume we're going in that order then so is it pink yeah. floyd up first yes great yeah so wish you were here so why is this album important to you Yeah. Uh I had I had a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mentioned to you it's really hard to decide which Pink Floyd record because I went through such an intense Pink Floyd phase. Um <laughs> a friend introduced them to me. Well, I mean, I knew about them, but like, you know, before, but I never really knew where to start. I think and mm. so, but he was just so passionate about them and he had also introduced me to the Beatles. So it's kind of that era of music. But for me it was Pink Floyd that just stuck and it just felt like they went straight to my heart 
Mm. Um, I, you know, was obsessed with them and was listening to them so much. So it's really difficult to decide which Pink Floyd record to go with, especially because they have a lot of like long form works. Yes. So it's like, for instance, I adore Echoes, but that's in metal. I don't love metal as an entire <laughs> record. <laughs> you know, so I think that was part of why it was also difficult. But I mean, I guess that that is, you know, I would say two things about Pink Floyd. I think the first thing was like coming into, you know, a composition degree um, in this Western sphere. There's, there were, you know, there were, I, I did like classical music and that's what I grew up playing I think I found it really difficult to listen to. It is it's very hard to sit through like 40 minutes of an orchestral work. At least mm -hmm. for me in the beginning, it was really difficult to do that. And I think, you know, over time, you know, the more I was studying it, the more it, be it's, it, it, it was clear to me kind of how to process that. So I, I am very comfortable kind of sitting <laughs> through long form works of, of classical music now. But that wasn't the case in the beginning. And I think I felt kind of self-conscious about that. I remember I'd like, in conversations with some of my friends who we were all first year students, but I think just some people who had more exposure to it or just knew more. I think I felt insecure about the fact that they knew a lot about classical music and they, and they were able to kind of sit through concerts in a way that I wasn't able to. And it mm. would make me kind of question like, you know, I know I want to be here. I know this is what I want to do. Why am I not enjoying the music the way that the, my, you know, my peers are. Mm. And then Pink Floyd comes in and, and like I you know, like I mentioned, they have really long works of music. And this was the first time I was enjoying it the whole way. I was present from start to finish when I would listen to these tracks, you know, Dogs, that's in their uh, Animals album. Uh -huh. And in Wish You Were Here, it's Shine On You Crazy Diamonds, um, which comes in two parts. And just being able to sit in that and just like I said be present the entire time I think was just so interesting because it was like so this is this is this is this doesn't have to do with kind of my attention span or whatever but you know there, there is a world in which I I can kind of really enjoy that and really like know how to kind of I don't know absorb absorb all of it um mm. Which is quite interesting. I don't know. It's like a weird thing to think is like that big of a deal. But I think it was. Yeah. And I think part of the reason, I think, which leads me to my second point about this record and generally about all of, you know, a lot of their music was that they, be they build these worlds in them. You can walk through like so many different centuries, so many different stories mm -hmm. or emotions in, in one Pink Floyd song. And I think that is something that I also took into my own music, something like Galu, I think, or I, I hope <laughs> that it feels like you're, you know, you're going on some sort of journey. And in, you know, in Wish You Were Here, there's just so much emotion. It, it's their sentimental record, I feel, mm. uh, which is which is why I ultimately chose over over the other ones. I mean, you know, I Shine On You, Crazy Diamonds was you know, about Sid Barrett, um, who was like one of their founding members and they kind of had to kick him out because his mental health was deteriorating. And, and just that song is, you could just feel kind of the pain 
but also yeah just how close it was to their hearts even the song i mean the song wish you were here like that tight that line alone is just <laughs> it just really gets to you and yeah i just have such fond memories of you know i just gone through this really intense pink floyd phase and i learned all of the words to wish you were here and i got the chance to go to paris that summer and there was some random like person who was playing the guitar and I was with a friend and I had connected with her. I just met her, you know, in this Paris context and she loved that song and we met this dude with the guitar and he started playing it. And it's just, I think that song <laughs> oh, wow. just brought me, I mean, yeah, it's just one of those songs, even it's like when you look at the lyrics, I don't know. I, I know, I believe Roger Waters like wrote a lot of the lyrics, if not most of, of the ones in this album. And there's just this gorgeous like, lyricism to their music mm. um and a lot of the time you don't know what they're talking about like one of the lines what we're just two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl yeah but it's just it's just so good you just feel so rich so yeah i just really <laughs> really loved this record um yeah so weird you, you brought up that line so i told really my wife that I was talking to you about this record and she said mm -hmm. I love the lyrics and quoted that exact line to me as like <laughs> her favorite line in the song That's so oh strange my God. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly I'm curious about um because you mentioned that you hadn't listened to this one but you'd listened to Dark Sides so I'm curious about like why <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I think what happened is about five mm -hmm. years ago, for some reason, I just never got into Pink Floyd. I was someone okay. who listened to music from, for whatever reason, when I was younger, from my time and had, maybe just because my parents didn't play me a lot of old music, they weren't super mm. invested. I just didn't have a connection with, say, music from two decades prior. So it took me mm. ages to get into Pink Floyd, right? So right. firstly, my wife was like, for goodness sake, listen to Dark Side of the Moon. I did <laughs> and I really liked it. But then, yeah. funnily enough, I should say, this podcast is, I think, covertly also a Pink Floyd podcast because they've, they've come up more than like any other band. So I've ended up listening oh. to, I think, a lot of Pink Floyd anyway. And, and Wish You Were Here has never come up up until now. So what? I think that's why... It just had like this record just hasn't come up. I think I was like, I've I've got enough Pink Floyd on my plate to do me, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you know I'll be brought to this yeah. record by some means. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm curious what you thought. Loved it, great. I yeah. mean, as someone, I really like Dark Side, and this feels like a very you can hear melodically and like even in the tempos, and mm -hmm. I don't know something about the way that they're, they're delivering the lines feels. Like, it's very strongly connected with Dark Side to me. Yeah, it, it came right off, like, right after that, like, after that huge success and everything. I think they were super burnt out. Mm, um, yeah. And there was just a lot of issues happening. I think this is around where, like, you know, they started kind of falling apart. But I actually got the chance to see Roger Waters on tour uh, 2017. Wow. Like, yeah, and... You know, I guess he was the main lyricist. I mean, singer, rather, for a lot of these tracks. So it was really fun. Like, you know, even Welcome to the Machine on this record, like, kind of being able to sing that out loud with Roger on the oh stage. Like, it was, it was insane. It was insane. <sighs> wow. 
because you, yeah. you don't necessarily think you'll get to do that, right? Especially if it's mm-hmm. material that's I, how how like forty years old for someone at that point. You're like, do, are they yeah. going to want to drag this song up? But what a <laughs> moment for you! Wow, that's insane. Yeah, it was. Wow. <laughs> and obviously, you know, Shine on You Crazy Diamond is in two parts that mm-hmm. uh, bookend the record, which is a strange thing. I understand that there was a bit of a feud about that in the band. I think one of them got voted down. They were like, Let it, we're not splitting it up. And they were yeah. like, tough we are because you're outvoted. But <laughs> what, what do you make yeah. of that? I think it's interesting in terms of like listening to it as a whole and just having this kind of cyclical or this just getting back to it, mm. you know, after after it starts. But I don't, I don't know. It's like, I don't care much for it the second time around if i'm honest oh right interesting <laughs> is that tea <laughs> oh my god i i think i don't know i there's just something about the first time around i mean it, it's a gorgeous mm. song um so so it, it it is in the same kind of place uh i don't know that's i don't know i've never thought about how i feel about it coming around the second time maybe the second time is just not punching it in the same way yeah I guess mm. it comes out of that riff as well. First time, there's a lot of very lovely mm. build up, so the yeah. initial breaking's pretty powerful. Um, yeah, it reminded me of jazz almost in the way that oh, you've got the head at the top. You hear it come around the first time, and then it mm. kind of splays and then regroups. There's this almost this moment of right. c- circular relief where it's like we're back, right. Even in like classical records too, right? Like with a mm. symphony and and yeah, that's like a really good point. <laughs> so you were gonna pick maybe well, actually, you did pick Dark Side first. I uh, did. So talk me through the <laughs> the interim where <laughs> wish you were here. One out. I mean, what's your relationship yeah. like with Dark Side and and what edged wish you were here for you? Hmm. So Dark Side. Is, is, is gorgeous and my favorite track of theirs altogether is us and them so i think mm. that's why it had the kind of one up <laughs> at the start and there's just just the sonic rich richness of that record um you look at something like great gig in the sky you know where they just had a vocalist come into the studio and i think they mentioned mm. her like think of war and just go go off and like wow like that just <laughs> yeah and being able to just have all these different elements kind of appear in the music in really interesting contexts i really really like adore about that record it's i've listened to it in the dark so many times as well oh, um nice. and it's it's just incredible but i think wish you were here is just that sentimental feeling i was talking about i think for me it just has so much heart and maybe my own memories with it um, kind of put me there. But also, I think it's because Dark Side, the tracks are much shorter overall. <laughs> right. Which, and, and I've just loved Pink Floyd's longer works. Yes. Um, so, you know, even Animals was quite a big contender in that. But I ultimately just kind of felt that I love dogs more than kind of pigs and, and sheep. <laughs> <laughs> And so maybe again, it's just like that one track. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice. I mean, 
if you were to think back to discovering Wish You Were Here, uh, mm-hmm. what kind of memories come into your head? Like, where are you when you're first getting acquainted with this record? So this was, wow, what a question. I was, yeah, first year of college. I was at the end of the first year, actually. So this was the second semester. It was starting to be springtime. So taking midnight walks Mm. is something that comes to mind with this record. I remember when I decided to learn all of the words, you know, to the song, like I mentioned, (laughs) and, and, and then Paris as well, and just connecting to so many individuals through knowing those lyrics and yeah those are the memories and then obviously like seeing Roger just after having this really really intense phase around them um Hmm. and 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 just when those songs came up (laughs) I was just like yeah it's just that whole year like syndicated into like one feeling and and just like this record is just it's just it for me (laughs) (laughs) blue skies from pain can you tell a green field from a cold steel rail a smile from a veil do you think you can tell Yukabi, let's go to your second, second important record. Yeah, which one's it going to be? All right. So the second one is Kelsey Lou's Blood. Yeah. So why did this one make the list? Yeah. So I th- I have no idea how I came across this record. But obviously, the first thing that caught my, my ear was the cello. Mm. Kelsey Lou is actually a classically trained cellist. And... So when you listen to this record, you can hear that permeate in all of the tracks, almost all of the tracks. And mm. just, it's such a lush record generally, too. I, I love harmonies. Um, I think that's kind of obvious in, in my work, uh-huh. you know, with something like Galu. I just I love this idea of lushness. Um, I'm really drawn to that. I think I think, you know, I, I grew up like in the African church and like uh, harmonies was a really big thing like mm. it was just a really really big thing so I think that's like a sweet tooth I developed so I think that this record just was very pretty to me and it was again more like discovering who Kelsey Lou is and that just really impacted how I saw myself again um, I believe I was like maybe third year of uni at this point I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I don't remember when it came out, 2019 or yeah, something? Yeah, 2019, I okay. think. Yeah, so I was in my third year and just kind of looking up uh, Kelsey's story and how, you know, they had this classical training, but, you know, they also were singing. And you can hear that classical and pop kind of influence mm. marrying in this record. And again, for me, I think I struggled... Or another kind of thing that I had to work through in terms of me being a composer and, and coming to terms with what that means on, on my own terms was the fact that I had a lot of pop influence. You can't escape pop music. <laughs> and <laughs> no. and But again, I think I had this preconception about like what a composer should be. And 
I think also the program in academia kind of makes it out that you have to write a certain way and mm. that pop music is like a lower form of music. So it'd just be situations yeah. where like I was writing, you know, vocal music and like, why do I keep writing four, co- four chord songs? Like, why does that keep <laughs> happening? Like, do I suck? <laughs> you know, the, yeah. there was a lot of just me feeling like classical, my pop influences uh, um, were, were, were always a negative thing to me wanting to be a composer and you know this is you know partly because or largely because my idea of a composer was still kind of centered around a very like eurocentric frame uh still so i think that's why that that fight was there Hmm. and so kelsey's record i think was just like a whoa moment you know because did you know it would just happen where you know, I was I was definitely, you know, coming to my own and I was like discovering what my style of music was and and, and you know, people people were responding quite well to it when we'd have, you know, like um the college like concerts and stuff. But I still never felt like it quite fit in. You know, you'd have a concert, I have one work among amongst like a bunch of different other works and but mine just never really it never felt like mine fit in. And, and it's because of this idea of like influences as well, you know, just you can hear all the different influences, but you can't like place them into like one category. I, I hate this idea of genre. I could go off <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about that, sure. you know, I could really go off about it. And so kind of discovering Kelsey Lou and, and Blood, I think it was just finding an artist who showed me that you can exist in, in so many places at once. And that there's a space for that. Yeah. I mean, I love this record. Uh, Mm -hmm. Definitely going to buy it. Unfortunately, I was streaming it off YouTube and getting (laughs) all kinds of ad breaks jamming their way in there, which is not ideal, right? It must be painful to to hear from someone who loves this record. But I then looked up videos of them performing Mm. and Mm. there's this amazing... I think it's in Reykjavik. It's a boiler room set. I don't know if you've seen this, but they're playing, like, it starts with just cello loops, instrumental cello loops, like, building and folding over themselves. And Mm. um, it really made me go back to Blood and then hear the cello as so much more pronounced Mm. or pay so much more attention to it. I mean, how much do you know of Kelsey's work outside of of blood as well because that that fluidity felt suddenly very clear where i was like oh yeah like Mm. they're just they're able to jag off and and go in like quite a a hard classical direction um right but it doesn't seem like something it's not like leaving one room and entering another right um yeah yeah um well i know that they'd released like a maybe an ep earlier um like i know one of the songs I like from that is called Time. But I don't actually know. I, I really don't know how I came across this record and everything. And I I was uh, able to actually see them perform uh, <laughs> as well. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, this is really funny. Um, but they were opening for this um, Arabic rock band called Mashru Leila. Uh-huh. And so... It was quite interesting because I didn't know Mashru Leila and I, I was like, you know, I might as well like discover new music. And, and, you know, I had I listened to their music, which is really, really cool. But when I went to the concert, I was going for Kelsey. 
just watching them with their cello on that stage and just recontextualizing that instrument um, on their own terms I think it was just so powerful it feels really symbolic I think the cello is a very gorgeous instrument and it just like visually um, watching mm. people play it um, and Kelsey in this case um, it was just really powerful yeah yeah, yeah. And with Blood, I mean, do you have a favourite track? Okay, uh, I, I like Poor Fake. I think that starts with this, like, really lush, like, string arrangement. And then I like Too Much. It's it's quite short, that one, but it's really pretty um, hmm. as well. And then I also like Blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's right at the close, right, of the Yeah, that's the, the last track. It's so... And, you know... Uh, I'm not in love is is the most popular one from that and and it's a cover of of a song. I, do you know the original song? Uh, well, I can't. It's weird. It's so it's by Ten CC, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I knew it was a cover instantly. I can't. I haven't gone back to check it out. I can't for the life of me remember the original at all. So it's just Kelsey's version in my head right now. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It's it's one yeah. of many surprises I found on this record where I was like, oh, mm. like there's some some moments of very. Uh, Oh, what's the track where it it's um it's basically like the most pop one on the record it's so nice due oh. west i think that's Due one west of them. yeah 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 so nice i'm really surprised that this record wasn't i don't know, even know what this means but wasn't massive um yeah tell, tell me about some of the other things as well that you you like about this record like what is it that makes you connect with 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 blood it's it's this is so it's really hard to talk about like music isn't it because <laughs> you you feel so much of it you feel so much of it and and how do you kind of put that into words like i, I don't know how to describe their voice but it just it just gets to me mm. um like their falsetto which isn't technically the right term but you know like yeah. it's just this really gorgeous like soaring kind of nature to their like in too much this just, oh, it's just gorgeous. Hello, Don, you're here at last to reveal what can't be hidden through the blinds the sun meets my eyes with it. Blinded by the hope of a love in your eyes. Is my heart too much for? Nakabi, let's go to your final important record. So again, if you could give me the name of it and a bit about why it's important to you too. So my third record is Psychedelic Sansa by Francis Babé. He is a Cameroonian, or he was a Cameroonian uh, composer, guitarist. He also played the Sansa. And <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this. Um <laughs> Wow. So I've actually been in the process, you know, of, and I've talked about this quite a bit, like, you know, rediscovering music from Africa, music from my home, mm-hmm. um, because that's something I didn't get, um, given how Western and Eurocentric my education in music was. And so something that I started to do, I, I got quite drawn to Dambira or Kalimba, you know, um, mm-hmm. 
And so I'd started collecting some because what's really fascinating about this instrument is that it's there's just so many different versions of it all over the continent and they all have so many different names. You go to Cameroon and you have Francis and then they call it the Sansa. Mm-hmm. So I had been collecting a bunch. I have four now and I just want more. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 they, and, and so it was just really fun to find... I, I like freaked out when I found Francis the Bay <laughs> because I was like, wait, is this is this me like <laughs> sixty years ago? <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I I don't know if I did the math right there. I may have done it wrong, but um, <laughs> you know, it's just you know I had been collecting them and and, and figuring like experimenting with manipulating their sounds electronically and this is what Francis Bebet was doing in Paris right. like years ago years in the 80s and the 70s and that just was wild and then I found that he had um written a, a book called uh, African Music A People's Art uh, which is essentially like his manifesto like his artist manifesto I'd say and I you know I ate it up very quickly and <laughs> it's it's this book that's sort of a um like a history of African music in like broad in the broad sense but the final chapters he really goes into what he believes kind of the present and the future of African music is and I just found myself really really resonating with with that um you know I think for him he was talking about the fact that well preservation is important and i think a lot of initiatives have gone into kind of restoring you know the traditions i think you know were erased and 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 banned mm. you know during the colonial period but at the same time you know the future of african music you know can include using different tools and combining them you know like technology right. or like these things can be combined with what we have on the continent to create new forms and this still being called African music. Right. And I think, you know, like I mentioned, like for me as someone who came from such a Western background, it has been difficult to kind of reconcile the fact that my music didn't feel quote unquote African. And then there's more that, you know, we can go into that about like, how <laughs> you know that, that, that it, it gets tricky because it's like you know it's 100 percent frustrating when people say your music doesn't sound Afri-. like i really dislike that you yeah. know it's any music maker that is from the continent who's making music is making african music right um you know so that's really important i think to acknowledge but for me i think personally is important for me to see what it meant the fact that i was a music maker from Africa, and then I wanted to to see what people in in my past and in, in in our past had done hmm. with the music. Um, but again, you know, because of the position I find myself in, where I just have so many influences, they seep into my music. So just to read Francis's work and see that for him, like. You know, this is the fe- this is the future, and it's a valid future for African music makers to mm-hmm. explore different forms and and using tools like that you will find in the West or that you will find in other cultures um, to to make your music. I think I just really latched on to that, and 
psychedelic sounds are again like you know I mentioned I think it's really just this idea you have you have Ambida you have a kalimba or sansa and you're just seeing how it could go and how strange <laughs> that world is it's just such a gorgeous album I think a lot of people know uh, African electronic music mm-hmm. that's his album that I think a lot of people are familiar with because uh, you've got really cool songs like what is it called is it a coffee cola song yeah yeah and whatnot? yeah exactly yeah. Um, but I think this one is just quite interesting, you know, when you look into, and you know, this is quite funny. When I was, when I sent you the albums, I had said, it's funny. I'm like here talking about being a composer, but I don't have any like composed, like classical, like <laughs> records. <laughs> you see, so I still, I still, you know, have some of those kind of thoughts that I, that I, you know, it's, it's my initial kind of thought, but, but you know what, I re-listened to the album again to just kind of refresh my memory on it. And I was just like, this is incredible. Like the polyphony that you find in so many of the lines and and just the the, the textural. And there's just so much that you, musical like like richness that you can find in this record. Um, Even just like unpacking the techniques, like the the vocal techniques. Um, I think he, like the flute as well that he uses, um, just all of that being combined into just a really, really, really fun record and it's incredible to listen to you just find new things every time you listen to it so yeah so obviously the the sansa um yeah is all over this record mm-hmm. was there anything about the way that he was approaching playing the sansa which fed back into your own pursuit of that instrument as well and how you thought about what it could do um do you know that i think i should I know it's a question, but I think it's advice, and I'm going to take it that way. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. I I think with Fra- with Bebe, I think it's just his philosophy that I that I've just consumed so much first, mm. um, and then maybe now it's like how how is this? How can I also learn musically from him? But you know, I think. You know, just off of the top of my head, like listening to the record, I think there's just really interesting layerings of of the instrument that you find. And I don't know which one or which ones he used, um, because I think that's a really interesting thing about the instrument. The fact that, um, you know, you have so many different reiterations of it that you'll find some of them just have like four keys or right or seven or well 24 you know Mm. and but but you know because you're using electronics as a medium to kind of um look into into the instrument there's just so much more that you can kind of build from from just those very few you know notes Mm. um and so i i'd definitely be curious to just try more of this kind of polyphonic interaction that 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 that's in it i'm trying to remember which track is it maybe like uh sansa tristesse maybe that i feel there's just so many voices going on in that at the same time and it's just really really gorgeous and and yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm just thinking about it now i'm just like you know you're right i i think it's his book i finished recently so maybe that's why i'm still like in that philosophical kind of world from him totally when did yeah he, when did he write that ah is it um 
African Music, A People's Art? Yes, that is a book. Okay, cool. 1975. Wow. Mm, yeah, wild, right? Because I think, you know, I think for me, kind of on this path of finding out more about the music makers of Africa, I think a lot of it, a lot of what I've found so far is is concerned with recordings. Mm. Which obviously is amazing, and there's so much information in that already. But to find someone who wrote a book, um, I think it just really stuck with me um, because I I could really just kind of see, like, have a glimpse into in, into his mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess as well, recording like a, an emphasis on recording is a kind of a retrospective uh, mm-hmm. emphasis, right? Where it's like it's how can we capture what's already there rather than like where do we go um Mm, mm, exactly exactly so you used one of these instruments i can't remember by which name it's referred to on the essay recording site is it the imbira um kalimba 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 yeah gotcha actually that was a question i had for you like do the different names refer to specific iterations of the instrument or um I want to say yes and no. The one I use on the Galu record is uh, the westernized version where it's a C major or like any kind of major scale. I think it's like, yeah, it's a very, it's regional. And I think that, you know, and this is something that was interesting in in, in that Bebe brought up in his book, just in, in African music, we, there's no like standardization, you know, that happened in Europe. I think, you know, they, um, maybe 1800s, I believe is, when they started freaking out about A being (laughs) 444-440 hertz and then wanted to standardize, you know, everything. Mm -hmm. But I think it was quite interesting because Bebe's take on that was that um, it's about the personal relationship to the instrument and how for so many of our languages, it's, 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 the instrument is kind of a commu- is you're communicating with the instrument so you must be speaking the same language as the instrument which is why you're not standardizing yeah across you know entire like continents um which i thought was really interesting or not even across sorry the entire continent but even across like you'll have one village <laughs> with you know one version and then the village right next door completely different um, right you know so it was quite interesting. And so I think there's more that I, I'm yet to learn about, you know, the different names and, and what the different iterations are and, and how they are unique to the regions that they are in. So it's it's pretty much a blanket term. I use Kalimba and Bida interchangeably. But like, you know, in, in Zimbabwe, they have, you know, even like small identifiers. So you have the Mbira Zavadzimu, which is one type, you know, so it just it just really depends on where you are, I reckon. Yeah, nice. Because I did have a look earlier. I mean, it started at Wikipedia. It's just redirecting all these words <laughs> to the same page. I, was like, I think this is probably more complicated than <laughs> Wikipedia's making yeah. out here. Yeah. And that's like one of the unfortunate, I guess, things or, or the challenging things where, you know, you're looking up African music in a world that's very much built in, in, in a Western context mm-hmm. and how... You know, even like some, of, I was looking for some beta learning res- resources, and then a lot of it is like framed by Westerners, and mm. and and so just kind of 
wading through that, I think there's a lot of swimming through you have to do to find kind of the heart of the actual situation. With the use of the kalimba on Galu, and maybe this thing this would be one of my last questions is, I mean, how did you approach that? Uh, it's a wonderful sound. It's great because obviously there's very sparse palette mm. on that track. Mm. And mm-hmm. so that protrudes in a really lovely way. I guess it's that and your voice, which are the two overtly melodious yeah. elements in there. So yeah, how did you approach bringing that into the the soundscape of Galoo. Yeah. This this um track for me is was very much centered around colours. Um I think that this also ties into what I was talking about, the graphic score. Um where I th- I think I respond very strongly to colour. <laughs> <laughs> and and I I don't know. I don't know if it's synesthesia. I think that's like a meme now with musicians. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't. I don't think people love saying that they are anymore. Uh-huh. Um, but and also, I think I have kind of the reverse reaction where <laughs> I think that for a lot of people, it's that they hear music and then see colors mm. from that. I think for me, it's been the opposite experience. Ah, interesting. Where okay. I hear music from colors. And so because I had this very specific image of the coast in my head, um, there were very specific colors I wanted to evoke in these parts, not only, you know, with my voice or the drum set, but also with the kalimba. And so I think I also approached that kind of having this image in my head and and wanting to draw out these colors. So again, it was not, you know, similar with the drum set. There's not a lot of precision that I was asking for Mm. and so much as it was just like textural uh, communicators my last question for you here Nukabi is if you really want to listen to a record you mentioned listening to Pink Floyd Dark Side Mm -hmm. of the Moon in the Dark is there a particular Mm -hmm. environment that you like to listen to a record in order to really sink your teeth into it and listen to it optimally I think no, because I think different records uh, are different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so they require different ways of processing them. And so with something like Dark Side, it's not that the first time I listened to it, I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, lock all the doors and turn all the lights down. And, you know, (laughs) I had listened to it before, like just walking and, and whatnot. And I got to a point where I was like, this is what this record needs. It needs to be heard in the dark, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I think it's like that. It's, it's, you, you grow with a record and you, you know, you see it in different ways and then you kind of discover how you want to experience that. Um, but I think I, I love listening to, you know, albums. I think that our way of consuming music has kind of shift drift, uh, drifted away from that um, mm-hmm. for many reasons. Um, but I always try to give time to consume a work of music as a right. Like, you know, I, I Billie Eilish's new album, K, 
came out um, and she released a couple of singles leading up to it. And I think at some point I was like, no, there's too many singles. I've heard too many singles. I cannot like listen to it that way. I'm just going to wait for everything else to come out and then kind of listen to it in the order <laughs> that nice. was intended. Uh-huh. So I think that's kind of how I do go about it. Like I, you know, want to, sometimes I listen while I'm working on something um sometimes i listen while i'm walking i don't walk a lot though (laughs) 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 i should but i don't um so yeah i think there's just different ways that i listen to things i i love i love um going on road trips i don't drive i just have a lot of like really nice people around me who don't mind taking me along (laughs) and so i've just had i've you know been able to listen to records on on long drives as well which is so nice it's really really mm-hmm. nice yeah, to do that as well so yeah great Nikabi, that was a fantastic answer it's been wicked speaking to you as well um likewise thank you very much and to everyone listening see you next time goodbye